TED Audio Collective. This TED Talk features communications consultant France Villarta, recorded live at TED at Wells Fargo 2020. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash Bank. Capital One NA. Member FDIC. TED Talks Daily is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive helps you compare direct auto rates from a variety of companies so you can find a great one, even if it's not with them. Quote today at Progressive.com to find a rate that works with your budget. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. I was an eight-year-old kid in the mid-1990s. I grew up in southern Philippines. At that age, you're young enough to be oblivious about what society expects from each of us, but old enough to be aware of what's going on around you. We lived in a one-bedroom house, all five of us. Our house was amongst clusters of houses made mostly of wood and corrugated metal sheets. These houses were built very close to each other, along unpaved roads. There was little to no expectation of privacy. Whenever an argument broke out next door, you heard it all. Or if there was a little something-something going on, (laughs) you would probably hear that too. (laughs) Like any other kid, I learned what a family looked like. It was a man, a woman, plus a child or children. But I also learned it wasn't always that way. There were other combinations that worked just as well. There was this family of three who lived down the street. The lady of the house was called Lenny. Lenny had long black hair, often in a ponytail, and manicured nails. She always went out with a little makeup on and her signature red lipstick. Lenny's other half, I don't remember much about him, except that he had a thing for white sleeveless shirts and gold chains around his neck. Their daughter was a couple years younger than me. Now, everybody in the village knew Lenny. She owned and ran what was the most popular beauty salon in our side of town. Every time their family would walk down the roads, they would always be greeted with smiles and occasionally stop for a little chit-chat. Now, the interesting thing about Lenny is that she also happened to be a transgender woman. She exemplified one of the Philippines' long-standing stories about gender diversity. Lenny was proof that Oftentimes, we think of something as strange only because we're not familiar with it or we haven't taken enough time to try and understand. In most cultures around the world, gender is this man-woman dichotomy. It's this immovable, non-negotiable, distinct classes of individuals. We assign characteristics and expectations the moment 
a person's biological sex is determined. But not all cultures are like that. Not all cultures are as rigid. Many cultures don't look at genitalia primarily as basis for gender construction, and some communities in North America, Africa, the Indian subcontinent, and the Pacific Islands, including the Philippines, have a long history of cultural permissiveness and accommodation of gender variances. As you may know, the people of the Philippines were under Spanish rule for over 300 years. That's from 1565 to 1898. This explains why everyday Filipino conversations are peppered with Spanish words and why so many of our last names, including mine, sound very Spanish. This also explains the firmly entrenched influence of Catholicism. But pre-colonial Philippine societies, they were mostly animists. They believed all things had a distinct spiritual essence. Plants, animals, rocks, rivers, places. Power resided in the spirit. Whoever was able to harness that spiritual power was highly revered. Now, scholars have studied the Spanish colonial archives also tell us that these early societies were largely egalitarian. Men did not necessarily have an advantage over women. Wives were treated as companions, not slaves, and family contracts were not done without their presence and approval. In some ways, women had the upper hand. A woman could divorce her husband and own property under her own name, which she kept even after marriage. She had the prerogative to have a baby or not, and then decide the baby's name. But the real key to the power of the pre-colonial Filipino woman was in her role as babaylan, a collective term for shamans of various ethnic groups. They were the community healers, specialists in herbal and divine lore. They delivered babies and communicated with the spirit world. They performed exorcisms, and occasionally, and in defense of their community, they kicked some ass. <laughs> and while the babaylan was a female role, there were also, in fact, male practitioners in the spiritual realm. Reports from early Spanish chroniclers contained several references to male shamans who did not conform to normative Western masculine standards. They cross-dressed and appeared effeminate or sexually ambiguous. A Jesuit missionary named Francisco Alcina said that one man he believed to be a shaman was so effeminate that in every way he was more a woman than a man. All the things that women did, he performed, such as weaving blankets, sewing clothes, and making pots. He danced also like they did, never like a man whose dance is different. In all, he appeared more a woman than a man. Well, any other juicy details in the colonial archives? Thought you'd never ask. <laughs> As you may have deduced by now, the manner in which these pre-colonial societies conducted themselves didn't go over so well. All the free-loving, gender-variant-permitting, gender-equality wokeness, clashed viciously with the European sensibilities at the time. 
So much so that the Spanish missionaries spent the next 300 years trying to enforce their two-sex, two-gender model. Many Spanish friars also thought that the cross-dressing babaylan were either celibates like themselves, or had deficient or malformed genitals. But this was pure speculation. Documents compiled between 1679 and 1685, called the Bolinao Manuscript, mentions male shamans marrying women. The Boxer Codex, circa 1590, provide clues on the nature of the male babaylan sexuality. It says, ordinarily, they dress as women. Act like prudes, and are so effeminate, the one who does not know them would believe they are women. Almost all are impotent for the reproductive act, and thus they marry other males and sleep with them, as man and wife, and have carnal knowledge. Carnal knowledge, of course, meaning sex. Now, there's an ongoing debate in contemporary society about what constitutes gender and how it should be defined. My country is no exception. Some countries like Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, Nepal, and Canada have begun introducing non-binary options in their legal documents, such as their passports and their permanent resident cards. In all these discussions about gender, I think it's important to keep in mind that the prevailing notions of men and women as static genders. Anchored strictly on biological sex, are social constructs. In my people's case, this social construct is an imposition. It was hammered into their heads over hundreds of years, until they were convinced their way of thinking was erroneous. But the good thing about social constructs is they can be reconstructed to fit a time and age. They can be reconstructed to respond to communities that are becoming more diverse, and they can be reconstructed for a world that's starting to realize we have so much to gain from learning and working through our differences. When I think about this subject, I think about the Filipino people and an almost forgotten but important legacy of gender equality and inclusivity. I think about. Lovers, who were some of the gentlest souls I'd known, but could not be fully open. I think about people who've made an impact in my life, who showed me that integrity, kindness, and strength of character are far better measures of judgment, far better than things that are beyond a person's control, such as their skin color, their age, or their gender. As I stand here today. On the shoulders of people like Lenny, I feel incredibly grateful for all who've come before me—the ones courageous enough to put themselves out there, who lived a life that was theirs, and in the process made it a little easier for us to live our lives now. Because being yourself is revolutionary, and to anyone reeling from forces trying to knock you down and Cram you into these neat little boxes people have decided for you. Don't break. I see you. My ancestors see you. Their blood runs through me, as they run through so many of us. You are valid, 
and you deserve rights and recognition just like everyone else. Thank you.